This time, we're going to talk about the Star of Bethlehem. We've all heard of it, it's one of the most recognisable symbols of Christmas, but what really was it and what was really happening at the time? My name is Dr. Jonathan Safety, and with me is Creation Ministries New Testament specialist, who's also done a lot of research on the Star of Bethlehem, Lita Costner. Welcome, Lita. Good to be here, Jono. Now, the Star of Bethlehem was one of the most recognizable symbols of Christmas, but what can you tell me about it? It's interesting because a lot of the things we think about the Star of Bethlehem are built up around tradition and things we've heard in different Christmas stories, but it can actually be really useful to talk about some of the things that people have hypothesized that are not really consistent with the biblical data. Like I've heard that it might have been a planetary conjunction where two or more planets get quite close together in the sky. Yeah, but those aren't really uncommon events, are they? I don't think so. One degree apart is actually much further than you, than you think it is because the full moon is half a degree, so twice as wide as the full moon. That's not what I'd call a single star. Yeah, they they would not have called that a single star. Now, I've heard, heard another um, person talk about the Christ comet. Could it have been some sort of comet, Halley's Comet or something like that? Well, Halley's Comet passed Earth in 11 or 12 BC, and that's obviously far too early to be a sign of Christ's birth. And there was no other comet around that time. And so historically, we know that it couldn't have been a comet. Also, the bigger issue with any sort of natural heavenly phenomenon is it doesn't match with what Matthew actually tells us. If we look at the biblical data itself, it gives us some really useful hints. So if we look at Matthew chapter Mm 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then if we go to verse 9, it says, And listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the star went to the house itself then? Yes, and there's no heavenly phenomenon that would be specific enough to lead you to a particular house. And also, if you read carefully, it seems like it was a phenomenon that happened once, wasn't happening for a while, and then it happened again. So if you look at the biblical data, it was obviously something that was specific enough to lead them to a particular house, which is not something that any naturalistic phenomenon could do. And so it's clearly pointing towards some sort of supernatural light. Like, what do you think? Well, there are, there are several instances in the Old Testament where God provides some sort of supernatural light as a sign or to guide his people. For instance, you know, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, God led them with a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. That was obviously a supernatural phenomenon. So you think something like this is going on with the wise men as well then? I've also heard that it might have been the Shekinah glory, the visible manifestation of God himself was guiding people to the birth of God incarnate. 
Yeah, so th that's another possibility. Another possibility would be that it was some sort of angel because angels are called stars elsewhere in the Bible. In the Old Testament, oh, okay. in the Old Testament, it talks about all the morning stars singing for joy, and that's talking about angels. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about the dragon sweeping one third of the stars from the sky. And a common interpretation is that that one possibility would be that it was an angel. Okay, so a few different things here. Um, so now, do we need to get into why the wise men would have actually noted the star and followed it? Who were these guys? Well, it's interesting. If you look back to the book of Daniel, mm -hmm. we know that Daniel was a, a Jewish man who was part of the exile to Babylon, and he successfully saved all of Nebuchadnezzar's wise men from being exterminated because he was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He could also tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was, which of course these fakes could not do, right? So Yes, and so obviously it was a very dramatic uh, proof of the superiority of Daniel's God over the gods of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And it says that he was actually made chief over all the wise men in Babylon, and Daniel had quite a long tenure in that position. And it's very likely that these wise men, or magi, would have kept records of his prophecies in Babylon. And it's very interesting that one of Daniel's prophecies gives us a rough timeline for when the Messiah would be born. So people were expecting the Messiah to come around that time, do you think? Yes, and if you think about the wise men being primarily astrologers at that time, if they were expecting a divine king to be born, they would look for a sign from the sky. They expected a divine king to be born. Is that why they went to worship him then? Yes, that would be consistent with, with what Matthew says the Magi's reaction to Jesus was. So the main impetus for the Magi was actually not the stars per se, but the divine prophecies of Daniel, you think? I, I think that's consistent with the biblical data. Okay, what about here's who we've worked out what the star was, uh, who the Magi were. Now, when did they come, do you think? Well, it's very interesting because often you see the three wise men included in people's nativity sets. But if they wanted to be a, a bit more accurate, the wise men would be across the room because they probably wouldn't get there for another two years. Well, why do you say that? That's uh, very radical. Well, for a couple of reasons. When by the time the wise men get there, Mary and Joseph are in a house. They're not in the they're not in the manger anymore. Oh, that's funny because I've always seen nativity scenes where wise men are actually over a manger. You're saying that's not correct then? Well, there there are a lot of things with our nativity sets that could be more biblically accurate, but that's one of them. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is called a child at this time, and the word used is more consistent with a young child as opposed to an infant. You wouldn't necessarily use that word for a newborn. And so at this time, Jesus is probably a toddler. And also we know when Herod goes after um, all of the children in Bethlehem, he, he goes after boys two years old and younger, which sort of gives us an idea of when this was happening. I mean, it sounds like overkill if he's just a newborn baby, even though it's wrong regardless, but it seems like incredible overkill if it's just yeah. a newborn, yeah. Historically, Herod was known for a bit of overkill. He he executed his own wives and sons and things. So, I mean, so this is just typical for his behavior then, it sounds like. 
Yeah, Herod, Herod was a real tyrant, and it was said that nobody mourned when, when he passed. Oh, it sounds like a really nasty piece of work, goodness. You know that you said there were three wise men. How many, is that how many of the word you think? Three or three of them? Oh, we weren't, we aren't told how many there are. Tradition says three, but in reality, there were three gifts, um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so that's sort of been conflated into three wise men. We actually don't know how many there were. So it could have been a hundred uh, wise men giving three gifts, you think? It would have been difficult for them all to fit in the house, but the Bible doesn't say how many. Okay. And do you have any idea why the gifts were given? Why they choose these gifts, do you think? Well, tradition has put the meaning of, you know, gold is for kingship, frankincense is for deity, and myrrh is for the death of Christ. Really, that is tradition that's put over the gifts. In reality, they were expensive gifts that would have been appropriate to give to a king that you wish to honor. Now, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, probably would have helped them when they had to go to Egypt to tutor for, for living expenses, having these very valuable gifts, do you think? Yes, and that's one way of explaining it, because we know from the sacrifice that they gave when Jesus was dedicated at the temple that Mary and Joseph did not have a lot of means, and so it's likely that these very expensive gifts helped fund their flight to Egypt and their life there. Oh, that's very providential, it sounds like, then. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Lita, for this very helpful information you've given us. You're welcome. It's been good to be here. Okay, well, thank you for, for listening and watching this, um, this podcast. So if you want to see more, you can go to creation.com, our website, uh, and also subscribe and like us on our YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to listen to the audio version of the podcast in your favorite app, you can do that as well on your own phone. Thanks very much again for watching or listening.